You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I am here with Dan and Jason. Hey. Greetings, minions. We've got an interesting topic for you today. No, no reaction at all. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll shut up. Oh, were you talking to us as minions or the oh. listeners? Oh. Everyone. <laughs> mm, there we go. Interesting. I thought we were a part of the leadership cabal there. So. Silent I attention. I was. I was just trying to. I was just trying to make myself a bigger deal than I am. That's right. Well, Mr. Big Deal, why don't you get started with the Geek Week? I had the geekiest week. I had so much Geek Week stuff, I had to leave stuff on the Geek Week cutting room floor. That's pretty Uh, geeky. Yeah, the highlight was my eight-year-old son got into my Journeys of Middle-Earth minis and just lined them up to fight each other. And then he got in, and I was like, hey, you like the minifigs? Here's my Wizards of the Coast Star Wars one. Here's an extra 200 minifigs to line up and and, into battles. And he's like, Dad, we have to play this game. We have to play this game. So... On Sunday night, he and I totally jumped into Journeys of Middle-Earth. That's a 14-up game. He's eight, and we still had a ball together. Um, and we, I got to play some of the new stuff that I got at Christmas, right? I got the new big box that had the Balrog in it. We didn't play the Balrog, obviously. So my new goal for Journeys of Middle-Earth is to find a Saturday when my wife is not in the zip code. Mm. or the area code, or the time zone, and say, I need four players to come play Journeys of Middle-Earth with me all day. That'd like, be cool. Catered lunch, dinner, we'll just plow through every single adventure until it's done. And that that's my goal for Journeys of Middle-Earth. So much fun. That he sounds like get- a good Saturday. It, it, it sounds like a great Saturday. And there's mm-hmm. a, now that I have twice the number of characters... There's, there's, a, a, there's another option, right? We could wait until everyone in your house falls asleep... And then we yes. could start playing at like eleven o'clock at night and play till like eleven o'clock the next day. <laughs> we could, and that then is also a good idea. And then they're like, "Oh, you've only been here for a few hours." You're like, "Yeah, I already had breakfast. So it's, we'll see you later." Yep. <laughs> we yeah. could do it all. We should. Ju- I I feel like it's one of those things where it's less fun when you walk away from it and have to come back and say, "What were we doing? And what did my character have?" Oh, totally. What- it's true. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you have to kind of start over. If we yeah, did like everybody... a huge long campaign, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I wanted. I, I I think it's like a D and D session in a box where there's not one DM who's exhausted from adjudicating yeah. stuff all the time. My eight year old was so into it. You know, all the audio effects and stuff. He's like, hey, uh, why did it? Why did it sound like uh, you hit the, that guy with the sword? You shot an arrow. <laughs> I'm like, well, the game doesn't know I shot an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's but, nice. Uh, it was Wait really a minute. good. Wait a minute. There's, We're there's in the year 2021. How does it yeah. not know? How does it not know? The only thing I miss, I'll say this about Journeys of Middle Earth, I, I wish it had more rich content, more voiceovers, animations, and stuff like that. That would make it more a more rich environment for me. But it is, it's still great, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Um Mystery Men, if you were into ridiculous movies in 1999, I love this movie. Before the golden age of superheroes, Mystery Men is is great. It, it's going off of it's Netflix so terrible. Days. It's terrible, but it's so it's so good and so with Janine Garofalo. And that's the only movie I like her in. And Ben Stiller hates this movie with a passion, and he's the lead character. What was he like, Mr. Furious or something? Yeah, Mr. Furious. Because yeah. he's and such I lo- an idiot. The best part in it is like when he, he like gets that squeeze ball because he's so mad. <laughs> he's and he so like mad. squeezes it, and he goes, you see that bow? It just saved your life. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Anyway, if you want some pre-Avengers comic goofiness, the art direction really holds up really well. It feels like the art's good. Yeah, okay. They 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 were in like you know the 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 Batman world of the you know the you know the uh, Batman one, Batman two that that era. It's fun. The Just shoveler. Let's the see. Shoveler Let's see. and the spleen. The spleen. Who's <laughs> Go on IMDb. You'll be like, how did this movie ever get made? How did Universal Pictures ever greenlight that film? The more I watch it, the more I'm like, too many fart jokes, too much ridiculous stuff. My mom took us to that movie. All the kids. (laughs) And I think she walked out like, what did I just pay for? (laughs) I took a girl to that film. Oh, no. She and I were best friends. And we had like hooked up that weekend to be boyfriend and girlfriend. And it didn't last. That relationship did not last seven days. And one of the reasons why it didn't last is because I had scheduled like a six hour RPG day. (laughs) Nice. How come we're not hanging out? I'm like, I had this on the calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Preview of things to come. Of things to come. Didn't last. Uh, For All Mankind season two finished out. So if you like buy an iPhone and get Apple TV Plus and there's two seasons for all mankind, it is good. And season two is better than season one. And I liked season one. So it it, it is fantastic. Um, and Falcon and Winter Soldier, no spoilers, no spoilers. That finished out and uh, that, that got me really excited as Did well. Did you like it? Oh man, I, you know me. I'm I, I my default setting is I love everything, but I I I would I was hoping there'd be ten more episodes. It, I like Such it so a good much. Default I default setting. Thank you. I try. I the world a better place. The world a better. I I liked it so much. I went back to watch some Marvel Agents of Shields that I have not finished out yet. Mm. Um, because I was like, hey, there's more Marvel TV. There's like twenty episodes or something I haven't seen. So anyway, go check it out. I um I'm not sure I liked it that much. I thought it was okay. That's all I, right. I thought WandaVision was way better. Uh, I I would agree, but it, it was going for something different, right? Yeah, um, and, and my my fourteen year old said that uh, she thought it was just too heavy, um, that there wasn't enough uh, relief in it. Levity, yeah. To, yeah, yeah. That it needed it needed some breathe, some air to breathe every mm-hmm. now and then, and it just didn't have that. So well, I, th- I think I was I like, that's Loki's very astute of you, fourteen year old. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I think too. Loki is going to be a fun ride. Yeah, I'm sorry to talk over you again. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Anybody who That's... listened to the first version of our Mandalorian episode thinks I'm the worst person ever. <laughs> so yeah, we need to clear the air real quick. Uh, Dan was not the rudest person in the world, nor could he read my mind by answering questions I hadn't asked it. For some reason, in our mix, there was a glitch uh, about an hour in, and so. Uh, Jason has fixed it, and I'm going to re-upload it here soon. So it, by the time you hear this, it'll be fresh, and you can finish it out without the interruptions. And and what's fun about that is it sounds like, because we're five seconds off, it, I start talking over Justin five seconds before he finishes talking, and it's yeah. like he never gets to finish a sentence. <laughs> I feel such a jerk. All right, here's here's my last Geek Week. Um, I bought a new RPG for Miniature Market last night. Oh. I was up way too late at night pushing the envelope to get that $99 free uh, shipping, which is the worst threshold in the world because you know you're in trouble with the spouse for blowing 100 bucks randomly, and it's slow shipping. Anyway, I've never played this game before. I bought three hardbound books. I have no group. I've, I don't even know when I would possibly play this. I'm $99 in, and it is Star Trek, but I bought the Klingon edition. Oh. So. 
Rihili. Yeah, for honor and glory of the empire might be cool. And I bought two of the other supplements. Uh, I didn't get the. They have a leather band edition of that book, which was forty dollars more. I decided not to get it because I wow. could get more supplements um, to play the game, yeah. not just look at the game on my shelf, which is what I do with my games. I look at them on the shelf a lot. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> I, I opted away from the leather bound, but I do now. I can play Star Trek Klingons, and I was like, "Well, they've never they've never put out a Klingon RPG, a Klingon focused RPG before, so why not?" I feel like if you're gonna buy a leather bound book, you also need like a, a special place in your house with like a lazy boy, like a, a dark warm lamp, and like a pipe, and you're just gonna sit there with your nice leather bound book and and you know read up on lore uh, with it, but. Uh, I th- you know, there's. It's funny. There's only one RPG book that I ever like truly dove into, and that was Shadowrun. Yeah. Uh, I I dove. I read that book. I think from cover to cover. N- uh, number one, because the rule system is stupid complex to understand. But number two, it's just got a lot of cool cyberpunk lore. Um, you know, from from cover to cover in it. But so, uh, yeah. I I've never been able to to splurge for those like special edition books when they're like, you know, $30 more than, than the, uh, the original one. I, I just, cause I'm with you, man. I would just sit on my shelf most of the time. Yeah. There's something about it. Like my, I'm not afraid to break the bindings on a hard pound book. If it's getting played totally. Like, and it looks cool. And, and you know what? And I, I don't, I don't buy these things like comic books. I don't hermetically seal them and 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 that's the great thing about rpgs versus comics is nobody gets really uptight about like i sold my 1980s 1990s was west end game star wars books on uh ebay and people bought them and used them and played them liked it and they were beat up some of those things i drug around with me all over so anyway that's the thing about comics too is that they don't know they don't matter anyways they're not worth anything anymore I, I discovered that when I thought I had some comics and tried yeah. to sell them. And then I, the end of the story is I handed them to my eight-year-old and said, yep. do anything you want with these you want. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there, I mean, sure, there's like a handful of them out there sure. that are, you know, worth something for a collector. But all the, not the majority that we thought they would be no. when we were kids. No. Uh, yeah, we didn't anticipate moving into a non-print world, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I mean, when Image Comics came out, right? And one of Image Image was the uh, Todd McFarlane, um, his line that uh, he used to publish Spawn, right? And um, Image, you know, what's interesting is when Image first came out, I was oh gosh, what was I was probably in like eighth grade, I think, maybe a freshman. No, I think I was in eighth grade, and I remember I would walk down to the corner. There was this like corner uh, like book slash smoke store that had just like a bunch of comics, and they had like a you know, they had a subscription, so they would get the comic books in like every week. Like Wednesday was like new comic book day or something. And I would go in there and I would just buy the number ones. Just yeah. number one issues, just buy them nonstop to to pull them up. And Image had so many like number one runs of all these comics and only ran for like four episodes or five episodes, yeah. or, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got them all sitting up in my clo- in my closet or in my attic, and uh, sure enough, they're all worth like ten cents, twenty cents. These <laughs> number awesome. one issues from you know like the early nineties. So whatever. <laughs> one the day we learn. One yeah. day, one day they'll be worth something. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's my geek week. I'm handing it off to you guys. Who's going next? <laughs> 
Jason, you yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I, since I kind of stepped on the end of yours, so yeah, sorry. it's on, fine. Jason. I don't mind. I don't mind. You're right. Um, so uh, um, I did a couple things. Um, number one, I I busted out my Herstart uh, molds again in my plaster, and I mm-hmm. uh, I made up some stone um, using some of the molds. That, by the way, if you've never been to HerstArts.com, uh, and be careful with the spelling because if you spell that wrong by one letter, you get to a, a huge hentai site. So just be be careful of that. But anyways, <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> made that mistake a few times. Thank you for but, the safety uh, tip. Anyways. <laughs> yep. And by the way, when he said he made that mistake, he was okay. air quoting that. Made that mistake a okay. few times. <laughs> no, but anyways, um, no, but seriously, stay away from that stuff. It'll ruin your life. Uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> they've got some. He's got some great molds, right? These are these are things he has hand sculpted, um, and you can buy his molds. His molds are like maybe like thirty bucks a mold or something like that. And dude, I mean, I've gotten hun- I've probably gotten close to a hundred castings out of this mold, and it's probably going to be good for another hundred. I use plaster Paris or dent- dental plaster, um, but uh, make these little bricks that are to, you know to scale to m- many level scale, and then you can use those bricks to build castles and stuff. Uh, but it's a long process, man. Like, you know, if you use plaster in these molds, it can take depending on the humidity of your house, it can take anywhere from you know an hour to four hours for one cast uh, mm. to dry. And then to demold it, and you need probably about sixteen casts of a mold to uh, to really like build, you know, like a castle tower or something. So that's a long time. Yeah. You know, just to get the material so that you can then sit there for you know several more hours to build up this castle brick by brick by brick. And if you get out of that stuff, which I kind of do, it's cool. But um, I like to speed processes up. So what I did was I ca- I did my casts. I made a portion of the tower. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to make a mold of this castle wall. So I did one side of the castle wall. And then I got my liquid plastic. And I made my own mold over that. Uh, And then that set. And then now I just pour my resin. Rather than plaster, I pour resin into my mold. And I can bang out a castle wall that looks just as good if I built it with the castle bricks Mm -hmm. in about 10 minutes. Because resin takes about 10 minutes to cure. Oh, nice. So now I'm like, I, you know, what would normally take me, you know, week, a week of casting and building to make, I can bang a castle out in about 30 minutes. Oh, that's sweet. Like the full castle, like all four walls and, and everything. So, yeah. So that was fun. Um, so then I'm like, well, dude, I wonder if I could like, you know, make these and sell them or something. Uh, but, you know. To be fair, uh, uh, Bruce, uh, who's the guy who makes these molds, he does have copyrights on his things. So if you do get him, they have great. He says he has no problem with you selling things and selling things that you make from his molds. But if you sell molds that are made from his sculptors, that's when you start to get the copyright infringement. So whatever. Anyways, so it's cool, man. Uh, You know, I really I really dig like making molds. I think it's a really cool way to, you know, create something that can just continue to give you more and more material, especially if you like doing like terrain and minis and stuff. You know, I used to do it for bases for my minis. Uh, And I've always been extremely happy with the quality of the bases. Um, I've been really happy with the terrain. and I'm going to start trying to make some more terrain um, with it to do kind of these casts and stuff. So that was a big portion of my Geek Week. the next part was I decided, you know, now I was kind of on a terrain kick. So I said, I'm going to make my first terrain like cottage from scratch. You know, you see all these YouTube videos of people who like, you know, break out the XPS styrofoam 
and they kind of make you know they make villages and castle rubble with it and stuff and so i went to i went to dude it's so cheap to do this man i went to lowe's and i got half inch uh you know a half inch eight foot by four foot sheet of uh, oh xps gosh. for like 15 bucks <laughs> nice i think it'll last you a long time <laughs> yeah yeah and then, uh, and then you know, I then went to spend. Then we went to Hobby Lobby and spent some real money. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> on like, on like, you know, the ba- the was it like I say it basil wood, or basil basil. Yeah. Basil. Yeah. It's like so. the really soft mm-hmm. wood, so it's you know real easy to to carve. And so I just you know I've been cutting up and I made a little cottage to scale. Um, getting ready to do the shingles, which is going to be probably the long arduous part, but. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, I really enjoy making terrain. There's so many good YouTube videos. Um, what's that one guy, Black Black Magic Craft? Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. his stuff is crazy good. Yeah, and he does. And what's cool about him is he does a lot of, um, like, this is how I this is how I did it. This is how, mm-hmm. you know, this is how I made my, uh, my wash. This is how I, you know. And he even, like, has a video, I think, which I recommend if you're interested. It's, like, the first five projects you should do. Yeah, and it starts from like a really simple tile to like a rubble wall, um, and up. But I tell you, it's time consuming, but it's fun. You know, put on a podcast and uh, just put your phone to the side and sit there with a little knife and sculpt, and you feel like you're actually building a little village. So that was that was my geek week. A little bit. I of time can't in wait the basement. to can't wait to use these in Warcry. Yeah, that man. That's awesome. I, yeah, I built the uh, I designed the castle wall specifically at a three inch height. So Perfect. that we could, uh, yeah, we could use it for Warcry. So it'll be fun. I can't wait to move into your cottage. <laughs> right, right. I think I need to lose yeah. a few pounds. Well, so here, <laughs> and a few inches. Yeah. Well, so what I'm curious, I'll, I'll leave it with this. One of the curious things that I'm, I want to do, right, is I want to make. I want to. This is my first cottage. I'm just making it completely because I want to see, learn the process. Once I get through this, I'm going to see if I can make like one, you know, the individual walls of the cottage, and then make a cast. Of that, so that I could then oh, cool. bang out cottages with the resin. Nice. But I'm not sure how well the like you know the liquid plastic will set like against the foam and all that. Oh, so right. we'll just we'll just mess with it and have to see what happens. Hmm. But anyways, that was me just messing around. That's nice, great. very cool, very cool. Well, um, my geek week was a little shortened because my wife was out of town and I thought I'd have time for geekier things, but it turns out that I was more of a kid taxi for like four mm-hmm. days, you know? So I was yep. just hauling kids left and right and, you know, all and at the end stuff. of the day, you don't want to do anything. No, I was like, Ugh. um, yep. however, my geek week included Jason this week. Oh yeah. Because on Friday night, he and I got together and we played, um, the Man of Medan, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is what is the game company's name or the series name again? Uh, it's um, Dark... Uh, the Dark Pictures. The Dark Pictures. So it's a series, yep. and these are co-op horror games that you play. And um, Jason and I, we talked about a few episodes ago about the co-op Prison Break game that we played. Yeah. Uh, oh, what was it? Uh, no way out. No, uh, no way out. Yep. Yeah. No way out. So we played that game and that was great. So we're like, dude, we found another co-op game and this is a co-op horror game. Now, what's interesting about this one is that it was more, um, uh, we were separated more than we were together. Oh, a lot. As we we're yeah. playing with it. And that was kind of interesting because he would be off doing his thing 
And I'd be off doing my thing, and all of a sudden I hear him going, Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! And I'm like, What? What? What's going on? He's like, Dude, there's like zombies everywhere. I'm like, Whoa, that's crazy! And then all of a sudden, like, something would happen to me, and I'd be like, Ah! 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 You know? <laughs> he'd be like, What's happening over there? You know? And so it was like we were in two separate rooms. But my favorite part, this was my favorite, favorite part. The story's bringing us together slowly. And I'm like, I can't get through this door. And he's like, I can't open this door, you know? And then finally, like, he busts it open. And I'm like, oh, hey, there you are. And he's like, ha, ha, zombie lady, zombie lady. I'm like, where? He's like, right in front of me. And he starts running away. And I'm like, it's me. It's me. <laughs> I'm just, stop running. And he's like, you don't see her? I'm like, no, it's it's me. I see you freaking out and running away from me. Like, Come back. He's like, oh, I got to get away from her. Like, <laughs> you know, and so some it's like I was here. You two. Need oh, to work yeah. Through. It was so great. But I mean, they, they had set it up that way. Like in the very beginning, uh, we were both walking down a hallway and, you know, we're playing over Xbox Live. So I can't see his screen, obviously, and he can't right. see mine. Yeah. So we're playing over, uh, you know, Xbox Live and we're both walking down a hallway looking at the same thing. And all of a sudden I go, whoa, did you see that little kid? And he's like, no. What are you talking about? I'm like, he was just right there. Did you not see him? And like, it was it was great because it was like, I know I'm not going crazy. I saw that on the screen, you know. And he's like, I didn't see anything. <laughs> so well, it was a it was yeah. pretty good. It yeah, was a lot another of fun. part when we were walking, we're in this like derelict ship, right? Like a uh, water ship type thing, like vessel, and we're w- we're walking through a portal, and you're in front of me. And at this point, like, I think we can both see, at least on our own screens, we can see each other on our screens. You walk in front of me through the portal, and I, right when I step through the portal, this flash of this zombie lady, like, appears right behind me. And I'm like, (laughs) holy crap! And you turn, like, what? And we, like, come running back, and you don't see anything. Well, that was the same zombie lady that you looked like on my screen, like, an hour and a half later into the game. (laughs) That's so great. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My other favorite part was when uh, you were... um, because what the other cool thing about this game is there's like you know there's like six or some like main characters in the game and, yeah. and periodically when the scene changes it gives you control of a different main character right in so, a different you know, part of the ship or something yeah so you could be playing one guy and I could be playing you know a girl and then and then later on in the thing you're we've switched and we're playing each other's characters well at one point you're like so whenever we would switch if we were apart we'd say so who are you playing right now I'd be like I'm playing yeah. Alex and you'd be like well I'm playing the captain or whatever right. And at one point you were like, I'm playing the captain and, and we were doing stuff. And I started to see all this crazy stuff go down. And then all of a sudden, you know, the captain shows up and I'm like, okay, hey. And so then we're walking down this hall and the captain started to do weird stuff. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm over here doing this thing. And I was like, wait a minute, where are you? He was like, I'm over. And I said, are you still playing the captain? Yes. No, you're not. You're standing right next to me. You're not I'm playing like, the captain. The captain's no, right not. next to me. I play the captain, and I am nowhere near you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's one of those, it's just, they did a good job, like, having fun with two people playing. My, uh, I will say this, though. The, one of the best parts of the game is that sometimes you are both watching the same cutscene, okay? And, but, like, for example, I'll be the captain, and he was this guy named Conrad, and he would have to make a choice in dialogue. And when he would be making his choice, I'd be staring at his face. And the face started, like, staring up in space and getting all googly eye, like, while he was making the choice. 
And so it was really funny because, like, every now and then there'd be this awkward pause in dialogue, and the characters would make this face like, oh, <laughs> as they're, like, <laughs> deciding what to say. It was really funny <laughs> every time. So it was a lot of fun. Again, A, go get the game's pass because it's on this. It's on this. This was a free game that we downloaded and played. B, go find someone that's going to look at you like the way the zombie lady looked at Jason. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So it was a great game, uh, but that was pretty much my geek week. We got to finish it out though. We got to a point where we're like, okay, it's a. Th- I think we started playing it Thursday night. Yeah, and we're like, we got a couple we, more hours left. Yeah, we're like, we both have to work in the morning, so we need to go to bed. So this week, I think we're gonna finish it. Yep. So yep, that was my geek week. So good times, good times That's by great, all. Man. All right, uh, Dan, what do you got for the news this week? We've got news. Here we go. News, news. Where to go? Where to go? Here we go. Welcome to Tabletop and Beyond News. Very nice. I try. All right, Gen Con released two updates for their 2021 plans. The first is the April health and safety update with changes affecting the convention's new September 16th to 19th dates. In addition to going over the progress of vaccination programs, the Indiana Convention Center has added $7 million in safety upgrades, including additional sanitation stations, one-way traffic lanes and hallways and common areas, mask requirements for all indoor spaces, and a hospital-grade air filtration system. Jeez. However, both Interesting. the... However, both the lingering dangers of the pandemic and the move to September means that attendance will be capped lower than normal due to the loss of Lucas Oil Stadium to Mm. the football season. Oh, Oh, that's right. Yeah. The attendance cap is currently estimated between 30,000 and 40,000, about half of what Gem Con's pre-pandemic figures added up to. 24-hour gaming will be suspended for this year to to allow cleaning and sanitation of gaming areas. Timed entry and other crowd control measures will be in place for the exhibit hall and the mask mandate will be in place in the September in September for all indoor areas with Gen Con securing more outdoor areas for maskless eating with more food trucks and drink vendors. Gen Con also warns they are not sure what requirements will be for the convention in terms of proof of vaccination or for social distancing requirements. Discuss. Oh boy, I don't know anymore now. I'm yeah. gonna be honest. I the mask thing, like okay, I get it, but you know if they're already, this is what kills me. If you're gonna prove, have to prove that you're vaccinated, why do you need the masks? Well, it, those two things may be mutually exclusive or not. It all. It may also be. Does uh, Does Indiana have mask mandates? I don't think I, so. I think they do. It's only South Dakota that is anti-mask oh no that's not true uh, oh. there's like been several states that have dropped the mask mandates yeah. um the mask doesn't bother me so much on it i'm just so used to it now yeah but uh, i it's... say i wouldn't be used to it wearing it all day though while you're gaming though yeah that's what they're uh, talking about doing all day the, uh, i still i still think the mask doesn't bother it, i mean it would suck but it, it looks like me there so is a mask mandate in indiana yeah, yeah. right now i think so I think what would bother me is the. Um, just kidding! Uh, just kidding! They got rid of it. Okay, on regardless. April, on April sixth. I think to me, what would bother me is the um, the attendance caps in the spaces. Um, 
you know, the fact that the exhibit hall is limited, I feel like I might go to Gen Con and a big part of Gen Con that I really enjoy is walking the exhibit hall, but I feel like I'm probably going to get there and unless I get there at like oh dark 30 in the morning, I'm going to be waiting in line for people to leave the exhibit hall just so I can go in. And this happened to us when we were down at Universal. Universal Studios has, you know, a certain amount of people they let in the park and, mm. you know, we have the two-day pass and you can either ride the, what is it, the Harry Potter train thingy yeah. between parks or you can just go out and walk to the other park, uh, right. which is, you know, so we we were kind of having a light day. So let's just go out. Well, right when we stepped out, we real we stepped out and looked to our left and realized that they were not letting people into the park because they had reached capacity. Oh. So we basically could not go back into the park oh, wow. because we stepped out. So I'm like, now I'm like, gosh, if I have to step up, if, what are they going to do, like, uh, you know, building-wise? Like, if you step, you know, are you going to have to wait in line to get in? And, like, how's that going to screw up? What if you have a game that you got to be at? And... Yeah, that kind of stuff. So I'm just – I'm worried about the logistics just being a nightmare. Yeah. Now, Dan, when you read the person cap, was it an overall attendance cap or was it an event, like, room cap? No, I think that that's the they're going to limit their tickets. The full attendance, to yeah. somewhere okay. between thirty thousand. I read the full article uh, a few days ago, and it sounded to me like they were not going to sell as many passes as they would have in a non-COVID year by what? by about half. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they sell that many. Because one of the things about Gen Con is the bigger it is, the more momentum, the more vendors, the more people, right. the more games. Mm-hmm. And so vendors who haven't so so one of the things I learned from that uh, documentary is that people will spend an entire year prepping for a Gen Con or oh, companies yeah. will. So if they haven't prepped for this Gen Con, what are they going to do? Maybe miss it? Um, I don't know. So, but at the same time, there's a lot of companies out there that really rely on Gen Con to boost their revenue. Yeah. You know, and so missing it may not be very much of an option. They may not be and, able to do it. It just, yeah, case by case. So missing Lucas Oil, I think, really sucks. Yeah. There's no word on how many of the hotels they're going to be able to book up like they would in the old days. Like we had tons of right. the JW Marriott for RPGs and all kinds of great stuff. But <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't think I'm going. I could use my pass from last year to go. I do have one friend who's like, this is our year. We should totally go. We should totally go because that friend, it's convenient that they're doing it in September versus their usual dates. So I'm kind of, I just don't want to go. I, I, I wish I wanted to go. I'll, I'll just be mad the whole time about the, the differences between a real Gen Con and a, and a COVID Gen Con. Con. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little worried it's going to be lame. Do you know what I mean? And I and I mean that in the nicest way. Like I applaud their effort for pushing forward with it. I really do. I think that that's. Um, I think that they are doing what we need to do to get back to like what is normal. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that people need to go out and be like, you know what? Like it's been a year and a half. Like we've got some measures in place. We can do these things. And I think that that's an important step. But I worry that, like, there's not going to be enough GMs. There's not going to be enough games. And the selection that is out there is kind of eh. You know what I mean? And yeah. and uh, I, I worry about that. Or it won't be as well organized. And that's another right. thing is that I, I'm definitely worried that the wheels may pop off, that they won't be able to do the, the thing that they usually do because they have to restructure the entire convention around COVID. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's barely the, – the, 
Logistics of Gen Con are barely tolerable as is. I can't imagine them going, no, you used to be able to stand in this line and now this line has to wrap four miles around you know, around Indianapolis to go pick up your badge. Oh, listen, the one, the one way things maybe get so annoying. Oh yeah, totally. (laughs) I have to walk literally around this entire building just to get to that door that I can see from here. Uh, You know, you're like, Oh, it's going to, yeah. So I, I, I'd probably, I'm probably going to just roll my pass in the next year. We've got one friend who's always like, did it I already. I pulled the trigger. I've rolled it in the next year. Do you have to pull the trigger to roll it in? I thought it just stays as credit. I don't know. I need to go look. I need to go yeah. check to see what the rules are. I, I, should I don't want to get check screwed too. out of whatever I spent a year ago. I mean, two years ago, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, basically. It's like I've already lost that. I mean, as far as, yeah. I, I don't uh, want to happen to me what happened with Justin and Nova Open. Oh, oh well. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Don't even get me started. <laughs> Ooh. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, okay, so no, it gets worse. He's going to go off. He's going to go No, off. it's too late. It's too late. So <laughs> let me talk about the Nova Open, okay? And thanks. Dan, New topic. They, sent out, New topic. they sent out literally last week, they sent out a GoFundMe request for $300,000 to keep the Nova Open, like, salient, right? Oh, okay. And, and I said, excuse me? Like you just took all of those people's money that rolled over their stuff, and you want another three hundred thousand dollars for putting on an event that you are not on the hook for. Like, what is going on here? And the, really, what it comes down to is that there are three people who run the Nova Open that are paying themselves a yearly salary to for run a one-time event per year. Oh, what a great scam! Oh, <laughs> I'm not. I don't. I, I hate to say this. I don't think I'm ever going back to the Nova Open. Uh, like, how do you yeah. like that? I, I I I wish I could say. Well, I think I'm going to go, but I can't come up with a really good reason to go back. Right so now. one of the things, one of the things that's happening. I've kind of moved into a new news topic. Sorry, but one of the things that's happening is that uh, Frontline Gaming, who's based out of Las Vegas, they run the Las Vegas Open. Mm-hmm. Um, they have decided to expand and offer. Eight nationwide tournaments, right? So they have one in Atlantic City um, that's happening in July, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Cool. They've got one in Tennessee. They've got one in Texas. They got one in Las Vegas. They got one in Southern California. They got one in like Connecticut or something like that. But they're like, I, I may have made up half of those cities. But anyway, the <laughs> point is, wow. The point is, is that they have. Eight, I know they have eight going on across the country. And if they, if it goes well this year, I think that they're planning to expand more. Now, Frontline Gaming is also the group that runs the ITC, which is the, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, we tried this before, like international... Tournament circuit. Yeah, yeah. We'll go yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll anyway, the ITC is basically the war the Warhammer Wargaming competition that spans across... Yeah, leaderboards, basically. And, um, you know, to have an ITC event, you have to have certain criteria that you meet. You have to have, you know, meet uh, certain list criteria when you come so that it's standardized. And then now you can start comparing apples to oranges, you know, when you're playing in uh, New Jersey versus Southern California. You can see who's, like, still top of the leaderboards and all that. And there's prizes and awards and things like that every year. Um, Anyway, the point is, is that Frontline Gaming, who runs all of that, is standardizing their ITC format and rolling out standardized 
major events, eight major events every year. So um, I think personally, I think it's awesome. I think it's great. Like if we have more standardization on some of these events, like, and, and I'm talking big events, like your local gaming store can still have little tournaments and stuff like that and have a lot of fun with them. Um, and that's great too. But um, the, these big events that, you know, where you can like win prizes and have national recognition, that type of thing. I think the more standardization is better because then the competition is more, um, there's more parity across the competition as well. So, um, anyway, I hope that they come in and do a DC open and we just like put the dagger in the heart of the Nova <laughs> open and, and gloat over its dead body. So there you go. That's how I feel about the Nova open. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know what? I, I I'm not going to fall to peer pressure here. Um, what would be great is if there was a good event that we could drive to and sleep in our own homes that was well-priced. And that was not so yeah. small and minuscule that everybody's like, wow, if, if me and my group leaves, this convention's going to die. <laughs> That's true. Because we have those around here. I mean, there's some really teeny tiny conventions. Of course, I'm sure they didn't pick up any steam due to COVID. Probably just lost steam. But anyway. um, I'd like to point out that there was one local convention that has only gained steam during COVID, and that would be GuildCon. GuildCon. <laughs> 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 it could be us. Well, uh, you know, we joke about this, and we went to a catacon, and that probably had about what at its height, maybe nine hundred, a thousand people. Yeah, that yeah. started out being just people hanging out in their basement. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there. It's I'm, I'm not gonna poo poo, not gonna poo poo it. So let's get back into the news. Let's do it. We're, we're making good. By the way, time. by the way, by the way, the Nova Open sucks. Yeah, continue. Nova- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that because I kind of mentally checked out of it. Okay. For those who don't want to make the trek to Indianapolis this year, Gen Con pop-up is also happening at local game stores. Participating publishers announced so far this year are Catalyst Game Labs, Forbidden Games, Pandasaurus Games, Ravensburger, Renegade Game Studios, Slugfest Games, hmm. Steamforce Games, the, old P for, the OP formerly known as USopoly, and we- weird games spelled Y W Y R D mm-hmm. games. You can purchase a badge for five dollars to attend events on Saturday, September eighteenth. There won't be a list of participating retail tailors until May, as applications are still open. Hmm. So, if you're a retailer and you want to have a mini Gen Con event, that there's a five dollar purchase badge. I don't know where the five dollar goes. I don't know if it goes to the little game store or whatever. I wonder if the five dollars is so like there's games that are participating, right? And I wonder if um like if you're like I wanna do a Raiders of the North Sea gaming event on Gen Con Day and that goes to buy a copy of the game that you can then play. Uh, or something know. like that. I, don't I I hope every penny goes to those little game stores and not a single penny goes to Gen Con because they've got enough money. That's my personal. Do opinion. they though? I yeah. I mean, sixty thousand people at what a hundred hundred dollars ahead. And, yeah. and, it's know. like six million people or six million dollars. Yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right. Um, so anyway, I didn't do any of this pop-up stuff last time. There was there was a digital Gen Con last time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know some people who were involved liked it, um, but I think people who were uninvolved, I, 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 I'm not sure if I would get in, involved in it. 
in a Zoom Gen Con like they had available last year. So I, I don't know. This pop-up thing might be fun if there's one in the area, but our problem is, is in our particular geography, there's not enough small game stores um, there's, that, um, that would be into this. Yeah. I, th- I think there are a handful that have limited space. Yeah. I don't know if there are any that have an enormous amount of space that they would dedicate to something like this. I mean, like, Huzzah has a nice, you know, we're so used to walking into the back to the wargaming session. I mean, they've got a nice set of tables there where people play, mm-hmm. you know, magic and board games and stuff. Oh, but yeah. I think maybe you could get, uh, I don't know, with the COVID social distancing that's still in place, uh, maybe 30 people in that space. Yeah. It's not yeah. a lot. I mean, you could even do some ward, I mean, board games at those ward board gaming tables. That's yeah. true. That's true. You know? So. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> a lot of the other places they just, you know, they don't really have an enormous amount of um uh table space. Mm. Well, and socially distanced table space. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh our next new di- news item, uh Fantasy Flight Games released two new books for the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game. Cool. The source book Fields of Victory focuses on large-scale warfare in Rokugan, both past and present, with rules, tools, and guidance for how to use grand battles in player campaigns. The book also includes the Badger Clan for player characters with 10 new schools and new titles and techniques for existing characters to learn. And as normal for the game, the second book in the Blood of the Lion, the, the second book, Blood of the Lioness, puts all those new rules to good use in an adventure focusing on a brewing war that takes the players from the Akodu War College to a heated battlefield on the Snow Plain. Both books are available now, with Fields of Victory available for a retail price at thirty nine ninety five, and the Blood of Lion, and the Lioness for nineteen ninety five. I, now you guys played this game at Gen Con, didn't you? No, not this one of our buddies did. No, okay. that was in our group. Yeah, yeah, we played the old uh, version. Mike. Yeah, okay. This is the version I've wanted to play, but I've never been able to just make it. Because I played it at a Catacon and loved it. I had a great time, but I also think that the guy who was running it had run that adventure for like yeah. three years, you know, and so like he had it down and had all the props needed, and I had a really good time with it. This is one of those games that I always look on, um, I, I always look on, like, Drive-Thru RPG, and if it goes on sale again, I'm going to pick it up. Um, and I, I haven't checked recently, but it, like, I really enjoyed it, but the problem is, is, like, I don't know how much, like, my gaming group would, like, really get into it. Uh, yep. yeah, there's, there's kind of a lore barrier there. I, th- yeah. I was interested in this topic largely because there's question marks around will legend of the five rings RPG live on with the new, uh, RPG house that, uh, Asmo day pulled it out mm. of fantasy flight and put it onto edge and edge has produced almost nothing since that happened. So actually, right. no, they've literally produced nothing since that change was made a year ago. So it, it, I was scratching my heads, my heads, I have two heads. I was scratching my head, <laughs> why Fantasy Flight Games, plural. Well, we do have two heads. I don't know how they got two books out. I don't know what's going on with their pipeline. Maybe these were these were two books that they had, you know, coming down the pike before they decided to move to the Edge studio. But it's good that the, that game is not being canceled is, is one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up. It's still alive and well. It's a living game, not a dead game. We talked yes. about dead games. Yeah. We did talk about dead games. Um, and, you know, I again, I liked it, but 
I think you need to find your niche people. My brother, um, who lives in Ohio, like, I think if he got into RPGs, this would be his RPG. Like, he used to do, like, samurai sword fighting and all that stuff, you know, and, and Haikato Japanese martial arts stuff. So I think that this type of thing would totally be up his alley. Um, and, I mean, it's a great, like, Shogun-style samurai game. You know, with a lot of political intrigue and all that stuff. But uh, if you're looking for high fantasy, like, I don't know if this is it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have to enjoy the lore. <clears throat> and the yep. lore is inherited from other versions of the game before it was this version that's out right yep. now. Yep. So if you don't enjoy the lore, um, it's I, I think it's less fun. So there's a lore barrier there that's very real. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool, cool. Okay, that's it for the news. So, <clears throat> interject one here, and Justin, see if you can expound on the spot. What, what can you tell us about what's going on with Warhammer Cursed City? Oh, yeah, can I? <laughs> this is interesting. So, uh, I told you guys before that I got the Warhammer Cursed City board game, right? Um, it's a lot like Blackstone right. Fortress. It plays a lot like Descent, for those who are un- unfamiliar with Blackstone Fortress as well. It's basically, you know, um, it's basically games workshops, you know, dungeon crawler in a box, essentially. And um, they've had previous games like the Silver Tower and the, something of Hammer Hall. I can't remember, but this is the third Age of Sigmar kind of boxed game that they came out with. It's that's like this. Um, they've got a couple other ones for 40k, but anyway. <clears throat> so check this out. First off. Every game store that could pre-order them only got four copies, like that they could sell. So mm-hmm. if there are eight people in the game store that wanted a copy, only the top, you know, the first four got them. And this happened. This has happened before with their other releases, especially during COVID, right? That there's a limited limited release, and you know, game stores only got so many. Um, that happened with the Indominus box. Um with the space Marines and stuff like that. Well, with the Indominus box, it was like, okay, there's only a certain amount. Oh, okay. Two weeks later. Oh, we're going to do print on demand. Like everybody can get a copy. No big deal. Oh, just, you know, and not only that, but we're coming out with like the individual boxes with all the units and all that stuff in it. Right. So like they had a plan, um, afterwards, like they created kind of, I, I don't know. I don't know if they intentionally created this false demand for Indominus because there was only like a certain amount of you know um, boxes per game store. But uh-huh. that's kind of what happened though. Is like there was this crazy demand for it because it's like oh my gosh, you're not going to be able to get it. So same thing kind of happens with Curse City, um, but this time people are like, well, all right, well I'll just wait for the pre, you know, the next round of pre-orders and stuff like that. So get this. Games Workshop sends out an email to everybody that basically says, yeah, so we know we said we were going to send out more copies of The Cursed City, but turns out due to production issues, we've changed our mold plates and we don't think we'll ever make another copy of Cursed City again. Yeah. What? Like, ever. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, because they're trying to keep up. So now they're going to sell um, <laughs> I, it's it's still in the shrink wrap right now. I haven't even opened it. Yeah, you could double your money. I, I wouldn't open it at this point, dude. I would just I would save it for it. those those games workshop like collector dudes who, <laughs> you know, because what you need to do you need to hold on to it because I guarantee you, someone's gonna paint one of those models as a super awesome like um, arch regent, 
and then everybody's going to want them, and you'll be able to sell it at like a crazy premium for those rich dudes who play Warhammer. I know, but I like those models so much. Well, that's true. And if you sell it, you're never getting them back. I'm never getting them back. And, this is and, such. It sounds like such a jerk move, dude. Oh, Games Workshop my opinion. is doing something jerky? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. yeah, I mean, it's so so their production facilities, they they print their their printed material like their books and stuff are all done in China. Their their production facilities, if I'm not mistaken, there's some in England and then there's some in like Eastern Europe. And I could be wrong on that, but I they're in Europe though. They're not in China or anywhere else, right? Um and I guess with like the releases, like this happened with the Lumineth, uh, like the High Elves that they released, like they had to do two completely separate releases with two separate books because their production facilities couldn't keep up with the with the demand and the models that they were trying to put out while trying to like continue old production stuff, right? So they've run into a weird problem, in my opinion, where they're they need to print out more stuff than they have capabilities of. And they've got such a long, like, you know, queue for, um, projects that they need to get out and new releases that basically it was kind of like, well, we'll, we'll put curse city at the back of the line. But I mean, it could be like several years if ever, if they ever come out again. Well, you know? I, yeah. I can't okay. believe it though. It's so weird. It's like you guys did. It, you don't just lose the mold things for that. You no, know it I mean? doesn't make any sense. Because yeah, I mean, and you could always, you could always just make a recast, a, uh-huh. a remake the molds. Yeah, it, I mean, these are all designed on the computer. They still have the files. Yeah, and you can fucking... you can make a recast. It's not a big deal. So. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I it feel like it's one of these stories where there's something else that they're just not, and this is the face, the, this is the story face that they wanted us to hear. Yeah, I'm sure of that. Yeah, I like think... maybe maybe they they built the box, they printed it, they went through the first print run, and then they looked at the financial numbers, and somebody came running down the hall saying, "This this game will never make us money." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it will make double the money in the aftermarket because it, now everybody wanted it. Oh yeah, gone. yeah, yeah. Um, so get this too. This is this is the other this is the other kicker. You ready for this? Some people have opened their boxes and they're supposed to be like ten skeletons and ten zombies. Well, some people got twenty zombies and no skeletons, <laughs> or twenty skeletons and no zombies. Oh well. So well, so they can't even the they story. can't even go turn it in. They can't even go trade it in and get the right thing. At this point, oh, dude, that, leave your box in the shrink wrap. That I, could be <laughs> the thing. It could be they could have a quality issue. Yeah. Oh. Years ago, I mean, we're talking like 2005. 2005, I bought a Skaven battle box, and um, I bought a Skaven battle box. Opened it up. There were like. Six sprues, right? Yeah. And you're like six unique sprues. I had like one of the sprues I had a duplicate of and I was missing one. So I mm-hmm. couldn't like build it. I'm like, this is a sealed shrink wrap. Like, aren't machines making this stuff? Yeah. You know, so like yeah. I go back to the store and the guy's like, you know, bewildered. He's like, did you buy this used? No, I bought it from you right here. You know, yeah. you handed it to me. So he just so he just went and got one off the shelf, opened it up, and 
pulled the right sprue out and gave it to me. Oh, um, see that, and that the local game store had to eat it. Yep. Yeah. Well, no. Well, Games Workshop is different because of the lo- local games. This was a oh, Games yeah, Workshop yeah, yeah. A uh, store. Okay. So at that point, not, he just you a... know rid it off or whatever. But uh, I guess I, at that point, I could take the box to the store. You know, in this situation, yeah. you can't do that. Right. So, right. That's just it. You can't, <laughs> you can't do, do that because they don't even have the copies. So I'm looking on Amazon. Two hundred ninety nine dollars is the cheapest one right now. Yeah, which right? is and yeah. uh, so it's a basically hundred dollars over retail. eBay, you're getting them for three twenty five, three fifty, three seventy five. If I were to sell the zombies, like there's ten of them. If you have the zombies, if I have the zombies, if you have the zombies, and you. Oh. So part of me <laughs> at this point, like if I'm gonna play this thing, I need to open it now. To find out if I have the right things in there, because if I don't, I need to probably pick up those zombies for an extra thirty-five dollars or whatever on eBay, just so that I have them, right? Uh, dude, or or you just get other zombie models, Jason. Other other games workshop zombie models. Jason, have you seen the other games workshop zombie models? They're horrific. Are they? They're really bad. Yeah, there you go. They're the best zombie models you had in the nineteen eighties. Uh, just get pox walkers, Jason. You don't not like the pox cursed walkers? city zombies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I yeah. can see this will go nowhere. I'm opening the box. Okay, let's. I'm just gonna clear the air right are. now. Of course I'm you are. I'm gonna open the box. Whatever you opened it like two days ago. I know. <laughs> well, not really. I'm I'm looking at it still in the shrink wrap. I opened it mentally two days ago. We're gonna start here and shrink wrap. Come on. <laughs> I'm about to. <laughs> See, you yeah. should double your money now while it's hot. <sighs> These are worth more to me than money, Dan. I understand. I am one of those guys that uh, when I was collecting action figures, I had to buy two because I had to open one. I just had to open one. It just I used to do that. It was wrong. Yep. That there would be, it would just sit in the box and I'd look at it. It's just stupid to me. I had, like, two, uh, I had two Shadow. Remember the Shadow? Shadow, Shadow from, yeah. um, oh, I don't remember what line that was. Was it? No, it wasn't DC. Um, the shat, the, sh- God, I don't remember. Anyways, I had two of the shadows. He, he basically, you know, he had like a dark hat and a trench coat and he used Uzi's. But, oh, right, um, right, 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 right. But, uh, but and he could, he could meld into the shadows. That was like a special thing. I think actually, um, um, uh, oh gosh, who's the guy, who's the guy in, on 30 Rock that played like the, the, the boss guy? Um, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin oh, played gosh. the shadow in no, the movie. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Alec Baldwin. It was his brother, like Billy Baldwin. Was it his brother? <laughs> yeah, I don't I think, think it was Alec. I. Mm, we're doing this. I'm in IMDb. We're looking it up. I no, I'm in there too. I'm pretty oh, sure it was like Billy slow. Baldwin. The Shadow, 1994. Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Shut up! Oh my gosh! So you had his oh, action he was figure. Really, I had the action fig. Well, I mean, it was a comic. It's a comic book based off of a comic book. Well, yeah. But I had like the everything. I had the action figure, and I had two of. Them. Getting back to the whole point, because you, you thought said, the yeah. other one was gonna really well be big. Someday. I was a huge Shadow fan, so I like collected a ton of comics. It was a it was a pretty brutal comic, actually. Mm. Um, uh, so I had the I bought the the sealed in the box art, you know, action figure, yeah. and then I was like, I'm gonna want to play with it, so I bought yeah. another one. I, I, I remember this yeah, movie being kind of weird. Like it wasn't that good. 
Um, no, I, it, I mean it wasn't. It was an early '90s comic <laughs> adaptation. It's got Tim so. Curry, Ian McKellen. Oh, oh, you know what? I'm gonna be honest. I'm confusing this with Darkman. Oh, Darkman. Dark no, yeah. yeah. Now Darkman was wasn't pretty good. There's a couple yeah. Darkman, like three or four of them, yeah. I think. Wow. But, uh, but yeah, no. The, the the Shadow comics were actually really awesome. We're getting way off topic here. We're but, so uh, off topic, but that's good. They they they're pretty brutal comics. You know, we finished uh, not, the news uh, a while mature, ago. Sure. Jay. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk on top of you. Shut up now. <laughs> it was brutal. Yes, I we did. Uh, getting back to your point, I did not read the comics, but um, one of the some of the feedback I heard from the Shadow is that it could it didn't. It did find the right balance between being something new and something that referenced the comics. And this, of course, is pre-Marvel days where they realized, hey, if we just reference the comics nonstop, we'll be fine. Yeah. Right. Cool. Right. So um, so I'm going to go back to the Curse City, and I've got a point with this. I've got all of these models in a box, right? I love the models. I want to play the game. Here's the main topic of our podcast today: to paint or not to paint. Yes. What a boom! Great See, full segue, circle. Justin. Full circle right here. Thank you. So, yeah, here's the deal. I got that Curse City box, and of course, I'm going to paint them. Right. Not only am I going to paint them because of the Curse City box, but because I can use almost all of those models in war bands. So that's the other reason, Jason, that I want to that I got the Curse City box in the first place is because it feeds my war cry addiction. Um. So, so the question of the day, you know, the topic of the day is to paint or not to paint. Like when, when do you say I need to paint the models for this game? And when do you say, eh, the gray plastic or the blue plastic is a okay. So let's kick it off. When let's talk about first, um, when, when should you paint? When should you paint your models? Um, uh well sorry go ahead please i mean no you first i want to know what your thoughts are well i'm i'm on the should not i'm on the should not side of the fence so i want to hear what you have to say uh i want to know why anyone would think you should not ever paint your no i'm kidding uh i i i think um I don't know, man. I think that, uh, you know, when it comes to tabletop miniatures, it's mm-hmm. a pretty well understood thing that you need to paint your models. In fact, in many tournaments, in order to participate in the tournament, right. you have to have a three, co- uh, you know, there's a certain criteria. The three color minimum. Yep. Yeah. Three color minimum. And that's just for, you know, kind of experience um, there, but in uh, quality and investment uh, in the hobby. Yeah. Um, but there, when it comes to board games, I'm way less. Um, way less uh uh you know feeling like i need to have every mini painted um that's going to be in there in fact i would say i have probably rarely painted a mini that's used in a board game so yeah i agree i agree with you that um if you're wargaming it is an absolute must your minis have to be painted it's part of the immersion it is part of the immersion, and if you've ever been to a big tournament, which I mean, some of our listeners may and may not have, but um, if you've ever been to a big tournament and you look out and see all the people gaming and all the armies are painted in different colors and different schemes and things like that, it's really cool. You know, it is really cool to see you know your Arcanaut, you know, Carriage and Overlord army painted in a metallic scheme 
versus a uh, grim dark blood theme that maybe some corn army has or something like that right mm-hmm. like it's really mm-hmm. the contrasting things the unified color scheme that you have like it really is pretty sharp to see on the table and even if you're not that great of a painter just having your army together in the same color scheme makes a huge difference huge difference and you know we always joke like I don't know if you've joked like this, but, you know, I joke with other people like, well, a painted army rolls rolls better. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, your, your dice roll better for you if your army's painted correctly, you know? And, um, and in fact, now, um, if you play uh, Warhammer 40K, the point system that they use to keep track of points, you get 10 points if you have a fully painted army or not. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it's a like even even if you're just kind of playing like your local game store, you could lose because your army is not painted, in theory. You know, I mean that'd be kind of right. like a stupid move if you're just doing a friendly game, but whatever. You know, I mean like, but like on the score sheet it says is your army painted? And um, I think to Jason's point, um, there are many people in the hobby that truly believe that to be a part of the hobby, you need to be able to paint your models. And see, that, and that's, that's I, I take umbrage with that. I was going to say, I don't have a problem with that. But I also play in a game where that is part of the culture. I mean, it's part of the Warhammer culture that you paint your armies. You so know? don't you think that they are filtering out other players who don't have the same painting skills and are like... Hey, the the cost of this game is so steep anyway. Once I get the gray plastic, I gotta go find somebody to go paint this stuff, um, or, and that just, just doubles do the yourself. cost. You do it yourself, buddy. What if you're terrible at it? What if there are some people who um, their handshake and they can't paint it themselves? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's that's that, that's fair. And um, you know, there are some people who are not good at it. Now, again, I they would... can pay Justin to paint it. Yeah. Well, see that, that's, that, that's my point is that's extra cost, right? It's then you've just doubled. Mm-hmm. I yep. mean, that particular war game has a high barrier of entry with the dollars, and if you're not a painter, you've just doubled that barrier to entry. I think um, that there are enough. So, so uh, Games Workshop came out with their contrast paint. And I think this was an interesting strategic move on their part because it takes almost no effort to paint a miniature with their contrast paint. Like, you need to basically prime it in black and do a zenithal highlight, which is basically spray, uh, like a, their spray paint can, at like a 45 degree angle for a little bit. And then you just put this contrast paint on it and it does all the work for you. Like it really is like you just slap it on and, and it it as a one the, color kind of wash. It's basically a two color mini black and whatever the, the spray. Yeah, so you do it, but then you get the contrast paint, which is like a kind of a semi transparent green or semi transparent red or whatever color you want. They've got they got it in all the colors, and then you would put it over that black and and kind of ivory highlight that you sprayed at that forty five degree angle, and then all of a sudden. The, when it goes over the black, it looks like shadows. When it goes over the white it, or, you know, the ivory, it looks like highlights. And then it kind of smooths out the in-between as well. Mm. So it's like a it's like a spray, spray glob. And then you're done with your painting. You know? I think that they're, um, you know, to, to look at a game, uh, whether it's Games Workshop or any of the other, that's always a big one we talk about, but or any of the other tabletop wargaming. Yeah. Um, 
not all of them, but mo- a, a good majority of them, painting is not going to be the first barrier to entry if people um, aren't interested in hobbying aspect of the game. Because most of these, you buy them, you got to assemble them. Oh yeah, so that's true. I th- I think there's a there's some uh, other initial barriers, you know, at least one being actually putting the time in to assemble the models, um, that that are going to be there to say, is this really the kind of hobby? Is this really the kind of game that you're interested in right now? Because you know, am I interested in getting into this game specifically? Because it's not just the gaming; it's also the hobbying. Right. If I'm not interested in the hobbying, then I'm already in the aftermarket. If I want to do this by right. buying pre-assembled armies and stuff, yeah, pre-assembled, pre-painted. So, but yeah, you're already or, you're already not starting with the game from the MSRP or from the actual store. You're starting in the af- in other ways to get into the game. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. But but just painting minis alone for a, a competitive game, that's only one of the swim lanes here of whether to paint or not. Like you'd mentioned, right. board yep. games. Um, here's a reason not to paint is if you are, you're trying to do a nice paint job, but you know, these are just all going to get slammed into a board, uh, into one of these boxes and they're not going to be, uh, transportable or you're not going to be able to protect the minis from each other, from getting bounced around, from getting chipped just by throwing them in your box. So I would counter that with there are plenty of um, finishes out there that will give some pretty good protection. Right, like a, some sort you know, of you know an enamel poly yeah, that you poly can, thing. Yeah, right. Some sort of yeah that you can thing. spray over it. Yep, that um, basically is a clear matte finish or whatever it is. And and uh, you know I mean I've done that for a lot of my miniatures and. And I do it all the time because even oils on the fingers will start to, you know, mess with the paint jobs and stuff like that. So, um, you know, mm. it, it protects them from chipping, damaging, and oil stuff like that, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, think, I think the wargaming hobby demands you get into the hobby aspect of it all it demands it of you yeah and i mean i think that you know that going into it i mean there's a lot of people who are like i would play warhammer i just don't want to paint the minis and then they go find something else to do you know what i mean and that you know what that's that's fair i i will say this let's let's put it on the flip side it's not all war gaming that demands it because x-wing comes with pre-painted fighters pre-painted fighters and guess what there's guys who customize theirs they get in the hobby and they do uh, all the steps of a hobbyist, but they just do it for customization purposes, and that's yep. lovely. But yep. but the paint is not the barrier to the game. It's really, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. money, time, and interest, and skill. Yeah, right. Those those are the primary barriers. So, one of the other things that I thought of, and I'm going to say this out loud, we're going to lay it all on the table, is um, one reason not to paint your minis is if you suck at painting and your buddies come over to play your games and they're good at painting and they pick up your minis and go, oh, wow, Dan, this sucks. <laughs> Has that ever happened, Dan? Oh, yeah, my uh, Battle Stations game. <laughs> like, oh, you painted these, huh, Dan? <laughs> Did you paint those minis? <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Oh, I thought they came pre-painted. Oh, Justin. Just the Star oh, Trek, yeah. okay. the Star Trek ones. I I ripped the bases off and turned them into into battle okay. stations. Games. No, all right, all right, Dan. Yeah. Okay, so time out. I, I don't need when you I to can... hug me for, through this. Okay, I'm I'm no, cool. No. It's cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. For the record, for the record, I was talking about Spock's eyes, and that was pre-painted. No, I wasn't even talking about that. No, I have oh. like yeah yeah Spock's yeah yeah those those were uh, from Wiz Kids. Yeah, I didn't do any. Yeah, of that which was I mean they were kind of hilarious because they're like big globs of white with like one dot uh, like yeah. in the middle, so they all look astonished. They're googly eyes. Oh yeah, they're terrible. <laughs> they're super terrible. Um, but you know that's why I threw them in a box. No, I mean some of my paint jobs on those minis. I look at them and I'm like, I don't want to play this game because I don't want to look at how horrible mm. my paint job is. Mainly because I'm on uh, Instagram watching all these amazing painters paint yeah. these fantastic minis, and I'm like, I am so far behind. You know, I'm so far behind, and 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 I don't really, I I have not invested a single penny into being good at painting. I bought some paints. I right. bought some primer. I didn't even buy good primer. I bought slap it on primer. Yeah. So, yeah. um, whatever I invested into it was probably less than $30. If that, um, and I have not built I think upon my that. one paintbrush cost that much money. Right. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, so we, we look at these games, right? We're like, Hey, look, you know, let's get this board game. And if it sucks, we still have the minis. I mean, I go through right. that thought calculation all the time. I'm like, Okay, so now I'm I've got my own boxes of minis in games, and I don't even want to touch them with a drop of paint because I'm like, will they look better unpainted? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, will, yeah. Will it be a better game experience unpainted than painted? Than a bad well unpainted than a bad paint than a paint, job, paint job. Yeah, and that's right. kind of that's kind of what where I'm coming at at this and saying, look, my eyes aren't what they used to be. I'm not. You know, I, yeah. I don't have the dexterity to to be a great a mini, mini painter, nor do I have the patience or or largely the interest. But I want to play this game. Yep. And if I do quick and dirty paint job like I did on Battle Stations, is that going to detract from the quality of the game experience? And and I don't even know the answer to that question. I'm asking you guys. What do you think, Dan or uh, Jason? I mean, if you were to sit down and play a game and the paint job on the minis was really bad would that distract you from the game it might it might depending on the type of game if the game was a very much you know focused on your mini itself uh potentially so um, like battle stations is very much focused on your yeah um but battle stations is a little different because battle stations is overall it's a very like you know uh Fun, kind of loose, comic-y atmosphere. Right, uh, right. You feel so your jetpack check, and you hit a wall. Yeah. So in that case, like he's got a goofy, funny-looking face. It doesn't matter. Like it, it just yeah. all kind of fits in. But if we were playing like, uh, let's say we were playing like Deep Madness, right? Mm-hmm. right? And all of the bad guys were painted like clowns. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> it might detract from the experience. Uh, so let me, so interesting. We're getting into, um, is it better not to paint or bad paint jobs? I have seen in the Warhammer community, some really bad paint jobs. And I, you know, I, I don't mean to criticize anybody out there that's trying to paint. Like, um, you know, you're, you're, you're putting in the effort and I think that that's really good. I'm talking about the people that intentionally choose some like really crazy color schemes, 
like I saw someone take a Stormcast Eternal, which is essentially like this, like you know, big armored guy, and they painted it like, like pink, the pink and purple, yeah. and and you're like, I can't. What am I supposed to do with this? Do you know what I mean? Like, I I'm having a hard time getting behind this because it's just so jarring to my eye, and it just doesn't fit at all <laughs> with what the narrative is going on. That it has pulled me out of the immersion. Right. You know? Right. So we have that. And it's in, not even. Oh, sorry. Yeah. We have that in X-wing when somebody will paint all their, you know, all their Tie Fighters to look like ice cream trucks or something like that. Keep going. I'm right. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's exactly awesome. it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Now, I mean, some people will do hilarious themes with it, like um, uh, my my cousin Lincoln, um, he uh wanted to, um, put a whole bunch of cowboy hats on his Nurgle army. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they're all wearing like cowboy hats, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> well, you've got uh, you know? Caleb does the uh, Christmas uh, zinch. The Christmas zinch theme. So there's like yeah, Christmas they've all presents. got like presents on their bases, and they're wearing like Christmas hats and stuff. But it's it yeah. the whole army is themed, and he's such a good painter that it works. You're just you're just happy to have them on the board right next to you. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. And I'll be honest, I have played against people who have had bad like bad legitimately bad paint jobs on their thing um it looked like they probably were trying to slap it together in the last two days before the nova open you know what i mean like they were rushing it as fast as they could and they still passed the three foot rule which is from three feet away when i'm standing up at the table and i'm looking down at them they're uniform in color they've got the you know what i mean like they're not jarring to the eye it looks good it looks good. Now you pick it up and look closely and you're like, Ugh. wow, that's a little sloppy. You know what I mean? But uh, but from three feet away, you don't see all the little tiny mistakes that you would normally see. And I think with a lot of board games, you may not be a full three feet away, but you know, if it's out there in the middle of the table, you're like, okay, that looks fine. I mean, I know my guy has brown hair and wearing blue pants and you know a white shirt or something like that. And like I can tell my guy very easily out there instead of picking up the wrong guy. Yeah. Yeah, you know? and and that so, happens in pre-painted mini land where you have to do a, a double take to make sure you're not picking up your opponent's piece. Yep, yep. So, um, listen, I I think that we kind of came to the consensus that like war gaming, it's like more often than not absolutely needed, right? I mean, there's maybe a couple rare occasions where you don't need it. I mean, I'll be honest with you, like, I didn't have a fully painted Night Hunt army until right before the Las Vegas Open because I kept adding models throughout the year. And so sometimes I'd go test out new lists, and I had some that were just prime black, some that were just gray. And, uh, you know, it didn't really matter because we were just playing a little friendly game, but um, it did matter when I started going to more tournaments and I needed to get them yeah, going, you yeah. know. So, um, so again, Warhammer, I think that we like, or War Gaming, I think that for the most part, you, you know, they need to be painted, um, and and I think that that goes along with the event aspect of the game, right? Of a of a war game, um, you just want to have them painted for your event. Yeah. Uh, board games, they board games, I think we're on the fence about, right? And um, uh, one of the arguments I have for painting board game miniatures is just what we had kind of touched on, which is avoiding confusion. So if everything looks, you know, gray plastic, it's great to have some color variation. It's great to have some, you know, um, 
uh, details picked out so that you can easily say, that's my guy over there, that's Jason's guy over there, that's, you know, the monster or the professor we have to rescue over there, or whatever it is, right? Um, you can you can get those details onto those miniatures. And it feels less like you're playing with, you know, green army men. You yeah. Know, and everybody's the same color. It's <laughs> right. like, uh, yeah. how, much, how much disbelief do I, I have to factor in here? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the the great thing about uh, having a gray piece of plastic in front of you um, and you want to paint it is that you get to paint it the way that you want to. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how am I going to paint this? Now, a lot of people just follow the box art because the color schemes are already, like, doing really good on the box art. But some people go their own directions, and that is a time for customization and, you know, making your pieces unique and new takes on different things. And you can go as, you know, as basic as you want and just basically do base coats and call it a day, you know, or you can um put a whole bunch of like battle damage on there and really trick out their bases and Mm -hmm. you know you you could go way deep on on painting each miniature if you wanted putting little grass by their feet yeah yeah the key is just trying to pass justin's lol test (laughs) 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 yeah Oh, it has to be really bad to get that. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Oh, man. There's somebody I played. I think it was... I think it was Matt Barker. And he had inherited a mini from somebody. And I picked it up and looked at it. And I did the lol. And he's like, I didn't paint that. That wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) He's a good painter. That's pretty funny. Yeah, he is a good painter. So, So, um... yeah. Once again, so usually we talked about the what would it cost to send your stuff out to be painted. You would, yeah. We we usually talk about that being a reflection of what the retail box is, right? Right. <clears throat> like I looked up the Klingon warband uh, that comes out from the same from Modifius, right? And um, for seven minis, it was fifty bucks. So oh, interesting. I would okay. I would yep. expect to spend that amount of money to get all those guys painted. Now, question that makes sense to me. Question: If you now I'm talking about a really solid, good paint job where you're like, yeah. darn that 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 looks legit. Um, what about if you have smaller scale minis and you have a lot of them that come in a and this is a, this is a classic um, board game thing. So uh-huh. you you get a board game, you open it up. There's there's thirty there's thirty minis. Yeah. What what would you what would you peg the cost at to 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 get those done by to to get it sorted out by somebody painted to get it painted by somebody. So so there there's a couple of factors there in my opinion, right? Um, for example, Lincoln um, was showing me his Joan of Arc board game from Mythic Games. That thing had like 200 minis in it, and they're all like 15 millimeter. Yeah. Oh, they're teeny. Right. So they're teeny ones, teeny oh. ones. And so I was talking to him about it, and I'm like, "What are you gonna? Are you gonna paint those?" And he's like, "The plan is to paint them." And I said, uh, "All right. So what are you? <laughs> what are you gonna do?" And he says, "I'm doing basically. I'm gonna prime them and just do some quick base coats." Like, and a base coat is basically just one pass with one color. You're not even doing a wash. 
and a wash is very thin down paint that can seep into the cracks and help pull out shadows right and then a highlight is like the areas that are like um more prominent that get more light and so that's where your like reflections and things come off of so a wash will get the shadows the highlight will pull out the the upper details you know of a miniature um but he's like with these small ones base coat i don't care about anything else you know what i mean yeah. because they're so small already <clears throat> right. that like to go into that much detail is just a huge waste of time it's overkill on that and so so when you say okay like i've got a box like let's use that klingon example right there are seven miniatures in there now for fifty dollars and seven miniatures those are going to be some pretty good detailed miniatures right in my opinion because yeah. they're about seven dollars a piece right mm -hmm. so it's not uh those aren't those aren't some cheapo crappy detailed ones like they're probably in my opinion because they're for an RPG, they're going to be a um, PVC plastic um, uh, one mold that they have, mm -hmm. right? So you don't have to assemble it. It'll just come as like one mold yeah. for each each miniature. Kind of like the WizKids or the sure. um, Nolders, um, you know, D&D uh, &D models. Uh, anyway, so you'll have one thing. Uh, so what you would need to do with those is you would need to kind of clean up the mold lines a little bit because a lot of times, you know, you get these kind of weird wavy lines that happen where the mold plates meet together. So you got to clean up the mold lines a little bit, prime it, base coat it. Um, for those things, I would definitely add a wash on them and I would definitely pick out some highlights. Um, that is standard tabletop right there. Yeah. Okay. If you want tabletop plus, it, you're pulling out even more highlights. You maybe add a couple more colors. Um, you know that's tabletop plus. And then if you want display quality, you're talking like you know hours and hours and hours spent on each little mon right. each little miniature. Yeah. So, so for for the tabletop standard, I would say it's going to be anywhere between thirty and fifty dollars. Tabletop plus is probably fifty to seventy five. And display would be like much higher because that would take a lot of time for each of the seven. Yeah. So. And, um, and they had uh, one of the photos is of them being professionally painted. Yeah. <clears throat> and and yeah, there's a lot of they're Klingons. There's lots of metallics and all sorts of you know very. Now cool the funny things. thing is, is metallics aren't that difficult to paint, especially if you know, like a tabletop standard, for example, is that you're using metallic paint. And you can just kind of go on it just and really that. do a good job of, yeah, you can do a good job of just like throw a base coat of metallic paint down and it'll look good because it's got metallic flakes in it, right? Now the tabletop plus standard is that you take that metallic paint, use a dark version, and then you use a light version of the metallic paint and pull out, you know, what are called true metal highlights mm. so that like you know it's a little dark in the shadow a little bit lighter where it would catch the light you know and you're you're doing some edge highlighting with the lighter metallic as well and then for display quality you are doing non-metallic metal which is you are simulating right the metallic with metal your, and with your art yeah. skill yeah exactly yeah. so so like a lot of the metallics like you i mean for a Klingon who has normally black armor and metallics and then like, you know, a dark brown head with some black eyebrows and, you know, some some white teeth that are probably showing, um, you know, I would, I mean, the basic would seem to me to be like the best way to go because it, you know, it's not terribly complicated yeah. in terms of a color scheme. Yeah. 
So hopefully that very... answered your question. It did. Yeah. Thank you. I think there are various way, uh, levels of painting required to get um, models on the table to enjoy them, depending on the game type that you're playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, so it can. One hand, if you're going to buy a game that rec- that really, you know, the hobby and the and the community really implies that you're going to paint, um, you're probably getting into that because you want to, right? Right. So, um, and if so, then you know, you hopefully you would understand and expect that you know the painting is part of the experience of playing that game. If you want to get into that game for other aspects, you can always go aftermarket routes. But you know, most of the time, you're going to be paying a little bit of a premium. Or uh, to kind of acquire the army or the model count that you want um, at the level of paint quality that you want. But I'll tell you this: one, t- uh, you know, we're getting near the end of, of our time here. But uh, I remember one time I uh, built up a zombie dragon, brought it into the game for the first time. It wasn't painted; it was gray. First round, I moved it into the center of the field. <laughs> I never touched it again until the game was over because I forgot it was there. Yeah. This giant zombie dragon model in the middle of the field, but because it was gray, I never saw it again. Oh. Right. I, I remember we got to the end of the game, and then I was putting my stuff away. I was like, wait a minute. I'm missing something. I looked in the center of the field. Sure enough, just sitting there all by itself. Yeah. You probably lost the, the game too, huh? Because you didn't use it. Uh, <laughs> I won, but it was I, it was uh, like by the you know the hair of my neck. I'm thinking, yeah. man, I didn't even use that, that thing. That sounds like user but error, still, Jay. <laughs> totally. But that's what I'm saying. Is you get all these other painted models and everything. And you get this gray model sitting on. I think it was sitting yeah. on top of a castle. That's interesting. And it probably just blended in to the castle. That's yeah. interesting. That's cool. Right, yeah, that's cool. Well, if that's not a sales pitch to come down on the side of just paint the gosh darn thing, what is? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got this. Uh, I got this game called Bedtime Stories. I think is what it was called. Um, and it was like a little, you know, uh, AI-driven RPG that the kids could play. You know, and I had all these grand plans of like painting the little toys that are in there, like that the kids, you know, so the kids could do it. And, you know, one of the things is, uh, and this is this is a fair argument about not painting, especially board games. You get a board game that's got, like, 50 models in it, and it's got, like, 10 of each of the, like, you know, uh, opposition models or whatever it is. You're like, that's a significant amount of painting time. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. that is a significant amount of painting time, and I don't know if I really want to put in the effort for that. Is it really is the return on investment right? Because the return on investment is how often am I going to play this game, and you know, does the painted models really matter for the audience of this game? Like, here's a great example. Let's play Ticket to Ride, okay? And you get <laughs> you get great you get black train cars, you get red train cars, and they're all these little cheap plastic things. Are you going to go out and paint those little train cars each? You know what I mean? And maybe instead of like a red train, you put a little red roof on it or something like that so you know that it's red. No, there's no way. Nobody's going to go out and paint those little tiny red tokens, essentially. You know, And if they did, they're kind of crazy. Now, um, fl- you know, switch over we to know another thing. has. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Switch over to another thing. Um, one of our good friends, Jim, he 3D printed a whole bunch of Settlers of Catan tiles so that the map is now a 3D version yeah. of it. Yeah, that's cool. And then, you know, he painted each of the tiles so that they would look like the, you know, forest or the 
water or the you know the clay or whatever it is and um, so he did that so that um, you know it was a little bit more immersive now um, yeah I just think a lot of the board games like it's just unnecessary to paint them well um, one of the reasons you know. I thought about this was I'm up to like 62 uh, Lord of the Rings miniatures and that's a oh, lot yeah. like I was like maybe I'll get Justin to paint these I'm like I want Justin to be my friend. I don't want him to paint these. <laughs> He'll be like, no, dude, I'm not. I know how much gray you're warring against at any given moment, right? The problem is I keep adding to it. I'm losing the war you're right losing, now. You just lose yeah. ground every day. I'm like, I, I'm not going to get in that queue line. Um, but, but no, 60-plus miniatures, and because I love Lord of the Rings yeah. so much, and I want the art, because uh, uh, the, the cards are gorgeous, and the artwork yep. of the whole game is very immersive. I'm like... Oh my gosh! If I tried to paint these, these would look horrifying. And that's my so yeah. I mean, the thing is, is um, you know, depending on the quality that you want, like I, you know, I kind of have a personal standard that I that I put into my miniatures and things like that. But you know, if I I say that, but you know, like I've got 120 chain rasps that I had to paint, (laughs) and I got to the point, you know what I mean? And these like little ghosts. It is. And, you know, it got to the point where I was like, okay, like, just go. Just do it quick. Like, quick and dirty. Because if I spend as much time as I did on the first five of these, I'm never going to finish this army. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, um, you know, like, with your thing, you've probably got, like, five to ten of a certain kind of orc. Yeah. At most. You know? At most. And, yeah. And then... Like what you do is you just say, okay, I'm going to batch paint these guys and I'm going to speed paint it. And, you know, like, yeah, I mean, if you look really closely, will you see that, you know, maybe some of the details aren't quite picked out perfectly? Yeah, but when it's three feet away, they look fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of like, and you can speed paint that. And so like, instead of it taking three hours per miniature, it might only take 45 minutes. Because you're just like, I'm just doing these basic things. And in fact, this is one of the great things is um, Army Painter, um, they have you, like, they have their whole painting system, right? Army Painter has, like, um, all their own paint line, their brushes, their washes and stuff like that. Um, Their whole thing was take your guy base coat it right so i'm going to paint like you know if i'm if i'm painting a german soldier for a world war ii game i'm going to paint the gray cloak the brown trousers you know you know paint his face then you take this it looks like a a a can of soup type of thing and you pop open the lid and you just take your miniature and you dip the whole thing in their wash like just dip it and then you pull it out and let it settle and then it looks pretty good because it's all unified, <laughs> you know? And I know it's crazy. It's hilarious. It's like the dip method and um, people kind of make fun of it, but it's a way to do it really fast, you know, and especially for a lot of guys really fast. And um, that's, that's something that you could do because the thing about like a wash that that way, like the, that that does is it unifies the different colors so if you have a brown and a gray if you put this wash that's kind of a filter over it of a reddish brown then it all has the same hue right you know and it's faster it's much faster so you know like if you if you're like hey justin i need you to paint these you know i would really like you to paint these 75 models i'd be like i can do it but it's going to be the fast way 
You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and then what I would do is like, if you had a really big model, that's like the big boss, I'd take my time on that. Right, guy, right, 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 right. You know, so. And I, I, anyway. I didn't come up with this topic to, to arm twist you into working on my minis, <laughs> but no, it's because re- I was playing like Lord of the Rings Sunday night and going, you know, to be or not to be, to paint or not to paint. That's what, that's yeah. where, that's where my, um, uh, uh, thing came from hey we should probably find a good stopping point for this podcast <laughs> yeah we've we've probably gone quite a bit tonight so <laughs> you got me talking about painting so i don't know you know i could go on for a long hey, time I, I didn't bring up star it wasn't about star wars it wasn't about rpgs uh, you know we got we got to come up with new uh, a variety <laughs> of things to discuss let me just say that it's true. And Jason has been pinging us saying, like, we're going over. <laughs> I didn't look at chat. He's like, 120, 130. <laughs> I don't think he's on the podcast anymore. We lost Jack. I'm still oh, here. Okay, cool. So here's the thing with Jason is that he mixed that episode for us, and he, he made the comment earlier tonight and said, basically, whenever we get over an hour 30, bad things start to happen. So, <laughs> you know. It's our fault. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's put a spear in this one. A painted spear. Painted with... Hey, listen. Metallic. I'm going to tell everybody I fully encourage you to go out and paint because I think it is a great hobby. It, for me, it's my zen zone. It's, you know, where I go to my happy place. And uh, I love painting. So you guys should do it too. Awesome. Yeah. And go. start with apple barrel paints if you have to that are like a buck a bottle or something. You don't yeah. have to You don't have to pay the, you know, $10 for two ounces. To start what, with. What are those to Apple start Barrel? With. Are they on Amazon? Oh, it's just like the, uh, it's the like Walmart, Walmart brand. brand. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, The acrylic Walmart brand paint. Yeah. Yeah, start with those, but thin them down, please. Thin them down. <laughs> with what? Water? Water. Okay. Just water. Fine. Yeah. Yeah, you need to thin them down. Otherwise, they get cakey on your models, and you lose all details and all that stuff. So I didn't yeah. know there would be cake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So... All right. All right, guys. Thank you for listening, and uh, you have yourself a geeky week. Kapla! All right. See ya.